Hello and welcome to the Beyond Resilience Life podcast, a show about life adversity, how to overcome it and transform your life. This is your host, Dr. Lidiana Garcia, a licensed psychologist in Los Angeles, California. And even though my hope is to deliver information that can be helpful for you to overcome adversity and transform your life, it is not meant to be a substitute for being diagnosed and treated by a licensed mental health, medical, and related professional. Season 1, bonus number 1. Hello everyone and welcome to bonus number 1 of the season. Today I have the honor and pleasure of giving you guys this part 3 of Cosmic Weavers. And part one and two, I'll give you guys a little bit of where to find it and the background of why. But what happened was that last month, so right now we're in July 2019, so in June, I shared a similar dream with two other powerhouses women. And when we all figured it out, they were really good at investigating and figuring some things out. And the three of us were sharing similar situations with working with other alpha women and kind of like shutting our light in order to let other people shine. So, I mean, each one of us in a different kind of context or with a little different of a flavor, but that's kind of the backstory to it. So I wanted to do this part three because I was part of the dream. And let me give you a little bit of the backstory and where to find part one and part two. So what happened was that it was, I think it was mid-June and I was just, you know, in my Instagram, just like on a normal day, just scrolling through my stories. And I see that Jasmine, Esoteric Essa, had a post about a spider, a black spider that she found in her house or somewhere. And she posted that picture. And I automatically DM her like, oh my God, I had a dream last night with a tarantula. And then she started communicating back and forth like, what do you mean? So I gave her a little bit of what happened in my dream. Which it was, I was in a room. It was like a, we call it Marquesina. It was like just in, I don't even know how to say that in English. It was, gosh, the garage. It was like in a house garage, kind of like an open one, how in Puerto Rico most of the Marquesinas were back in the day. And it was like a party. And I was with my son. There was a lot of people. And out of the blue, I glanced a huge tarantula that started walking through the walls and everybody got scared. We were like, oh my God, araña. And we call it in Puerto Rico, araña pelúa. So I was like, araña pelúa. So we all started like running or what to do. And then the tarantula kind of like, she kind of like got hit into the darkness of the wall and then we couldn't see her. So for the rest of the party, we were like kind of scared whether we were going to like get, like she can jump on us or somebody's going to get, you know, bit by it. But that was the dream about it. It was a very random dream. And as soon as I saw that, I told her. And then she's like, oh, my God, I had a dream with a tarantula. And also Linda from Let There Be Loose had a dream about a tarantula, either the night before or the night before. And they were kind of decoding the dream. And lo and behold, I was also experiencing similar things. To continue explaining a little bit about this, Linda... I am part of her Patreon. She has an amazing program for Let There Be Loose podcast. And she released some of the extended audio in her Patreon. And it was about this aspect of how she kind of diminishes her light when she encounters other alpha women. And I commented on the post, like, I feel like you're in my head. And that night is when I had the dream of the tarantula. 
So there was a lot of synchronicities, a lot of similarities. And for you that are listening and want to know where to find it, you can find part one in Esoteric Essa's podcast. Her podcast name is Better Work Bitch in episode number six of season number two, I believe. Yes. And you can find part two in Let There Be Loose, episode 77. That way you can get the full story of the background and also their perspective of how they interpret it more, you know, individual, the aspect of the dream. After we all shared and we talk amongst each other about it, what I want to do today is talk a little bit more about my perspective and how I feel it applies to me. And I know that I'm not the only one sharing this as women of power, women that are tapping into their light. I am noticing that there's a lot of other ones that are sharing the same difficulties. So if this is you, I hope this is helpful. Okay, so to give you a little bit about it, how I was interpreting this whole thing of why do I shut down when I encounter other people that are, that kind of are more show power. And this is not only for women, also with men and in other contexts that I know what I know, I feel confident in what I know, but if I'm in a room with very powerful people, I tend to, or I tended to kind of let them shine. And sometimes that meant of me shutting up my light in order to let them. So kind of like me be more, a little more submissive and just kind of, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Instead of me like, oh yeah, and standing in my power. How I interpret that in my case, because we're all from very different places is that you guys know and have heard part of my story. But I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. And how I interpreted it was more about my generational trauma in terms of how it's been passed down from my grandma, my mom, but even farther behind from my paternal side in terms of the slavery, colonization. And most recently, I started watching Bolivar on Netflix. And it's been I bet it has a lot of things that are not true. You know, it's a show, obviously, and it has a feeling of novela in it. But what I've been loving about it is that I've been getting more of a glimpse of that era while America was still being ruled by Spain and how the people lived. And because this was in Venezuela and Colombia and kind of like parts of Ecuador, also that they're showing so far, I'm like almost in the middle of the show. I'm also seeing the whole classism, the way the Spaniards treated the criollos, so the whites born in the America, the slaves, and how they treated them, and all those kind of things. And the ones that are born, the slave kids that are born within a family, because my slavery background, it was like my great-great-great-great paternal grandmother, and she was the daughter of a slave that the family moved to Puerto Rico, but they were actually living in one of the Caribbean islands. So that's how that background comes. So it's been very interesting to explore that, explore a little bit more about the revolution and the story about Simon Bolivar and where it comes from. And again, I know it's a show. I know they're probably exaggerating some things, but in general, it's just giving me a little bit of insight into it. And I've been doing more inner reflection about the colonization in the show. And even, you know, in history, as I'm also reading a little bit more about it, again, it just shows about how the Spaniards and people in control were very emotionally abusive, if we want to use a word, toward the criollos and 
more so to the slaves, in order to keep them there. Because, I mean, they also use physical punishment in order to put them down so they would not rebel against them. But in general, you can see a lot of those terms, like they would refer to them like dirty, like, like they don't have any idea of anything and all those kind of things. And I know when I see that, it just triggers me because I know probably, you know, my ancestors went through a lot of that, a lot of that. And they're not even putting the indigenous people because by then they were probably almost extinct. So that's even worse in that sense. So I'm just saying this in general to give a little context about how from ancestral patterns, I probably have got a lot of that of learning to shut down and just following rules as a way to survive. Because you would see that. You would even see in the show how some of the slaves have opportunity to go into this area that was like free zone, but some of them decided to stay because of the fear of, but what if we die of hunger? Over here, even though they treat me badly, they still are giving me a shelter or I still have food. And then if we go on and beyond Puerto Rico, it's still kind of a colony. And I know you can call it in many ways. I know my grandma probably should be like, that's not, it's a Estado Libre Asociado, which uh, Commonwealth, but it's still kind of a colony. We're still technically in U.S. territory. And a lot, we're not the only one. There's other territories of different countries. They're still colonies, like modern day colonies. But for the most part, most of America countries were able to get independent from European countries, but we, we didn't. We didn't, and there's so many contexts and stories behind it that were even shut down because people still believe that there was not a movement of independence when the Americans, and now I'm talking about North Americans, came to Puerto Rico. And even in some of the history books, it was written as if we were like, come, come for us, we welcome you. And that's not the case. When they actually took over Puerto Rico, we were in the midst of starting the process of independence from Spain. So, and we were like second choice in a way. U.S. wanted Cuba, but Cuba was already independent when they requested and they won the Hispanic-U.S. war. So anyways, I can talk more about history. And we were not the only kind of gift, <laughs> if you want to put it that word, that Spain gave to U.S. for losing but that was part of it. But as I'm saying this, all I'm giving is the context that Puerto Ricans have been colonized since the 1500s, so still today. And there are some terms about how colonization impacts the mental health, the way of thinking, and the limitations, and also it's an island. So islands by itself has a different way of thinking because they're like isolated from everything else. They're surrounded by water. And it still is there in many ways, how many Puerto Ricans feel the fear that if they are not under their parents, you know, it's like a child that has not been, yeah, like grown up and got independent. And in many ways, that still is in a psyche, that kind of a feeling sometimes less of, even though we're very, in general, we're a very proud culture. But still, there could be a little bit of that sense like we're not good enough to be on our own. And I don't want to be political about this. I'm just giving some context to explain how this impacts me from a personal perspective. Because I don't want to go into like, what should we do? That's not about this. It's more about how it explains me and many other people that can share the same. 
because just because you are not Puerto Rican and probably you were born and raised in U.S. as a Latinx or different culture, that your country might be independent, your home country, if you're not from here. Still, a lot of it, moving here, there are some experiences of that colonization. And a lot of those countries were still colonized by European countries. So there's still remnants of that. What I'm saying is Puerto Rico is still being directly impacted by it as we speak. And as we speak today, which I'm recording this on a Monday, there is one of the biggest protests in history. I think this will be one of the biggest protests in history in Puerto Rico as we speak, because they're fighting for the governor of Puerto Rico to get out. And the reason they want that is because of the corruption and a chat that he had that he talked really negative and ridiculized Puerto Ricans and many other kind of things. But right now, there is, as I'm recording this, I had to turn my phone off because I was getting texts from my mom to like watch the protest. People are standing up. It's so inspiring, which it also gave me that energy to record this because I've been avoiding it. <laughs> I've been avoiding, and I know Jasmine, aka Esoteric Essa, sent me a DM recently, like, when are you going to record part three? And I'm like, I will do it. Something else that happened to kind of encourage me to finally record this was where I live right now in LA. I have a little patio and a huge spider web from a huge, I've never seen such a huge spider web was built within overnight by a spider. I have not seen the spider. It's not a tarantula, but it was like, okay, I have to do this. What else do I need as a reminder? So I am just trying to take on that because talking about this, even in itself, is challenging a lot of things, triggering a lot of things. And by me doing this episode, I'm also shining that light that has been shut down in many other occasions. And to keep on talking about that is how in my story, and, and again, whatever I say right now in terms of Puerto Rico and what I've said in the past, this is all based on my own perception, my own conceptualization of it. There's many different stories. But what I think everybody's agreeing is how we're getting together in that movement and it's, it's making the people kind of rise up and stop shutting down their voices. They're using their voice in many creative ways to express their anger and that they want Ricardo Rosario to, to be out, to go. So just that. Okay, to continue with this, what I would say is in terms of one of the things that is really hard for me when I'm in a room with other people is I consider myself an empath and or if you want to put it more simple, like I am good at reading the room. Like I go to a room and I'm good at noticing facial gestures, how people are talking, body postures, and kind of figure out those are angry, those are happy, that's going on, here's some drama. Like my, my mind, and it's not automatically thing, it just goes and scans the room for all of that. And I feel this is, you know, it's a gift in terms of my work as a psychologist when I do individual therapy and when I work with people is great. But at the same time, I find sometimes it's a curse because it's not something that I can just turn up, you know? And I also think this is passed down as part of hypervigilance because especially as how I was raised was very much with that value of be careful what other people think of you. 
and wanting to kind of honor the family. So I was always kind of making sure or made aware of my being and how I was behaving, what I was saying, what I was dressing like, and all those kind of things, and whether I was hurting someone else. And it was very much more from my paternal side, which that's where more where the slavery comes. So I think part of it is all of that. And like going back, when I go to a room and I am noticing all of that, and I am noticing somebody that probably has a need, because then I go into that need of shining, and it could be an ego, or it could just be that maybe they're not having a good day or something, and they're wanting to shine. I, in those moments, a lot of times, I just self-sabotage myself and self-sabotage my own light to let them. It's like I feel their pain, and part of me just wants to help. (laughs) And sometimes my help can just be to play that part of, okay, I'm going to play this part of you being the powerhouse and me just being kind of submissive. So that way you can have a avenue to release that. And yes, you know, again, it could be probably helpful for some people, but at the same time, by me doing that, I can, and many times have been taken advantage. And a lot of times I don't respond because of the fear of standing up for myself because of what, again, going back to how I was raised and all that. What would they think of me if I stand up? What would they think of me if I correct them? It's like that wanting to be nice comes, you know, it's like takes over me to the point that sometimes by me doing that, that I'm shutting down my light. I am letting other people take advantage of me. And in that moment, I definitely like now if I attach this to trauma, I definitely go more into a freeze response in terms of like in that moment, I'm noticing everything. But then afterwards, especially when somebody mistreats me, then I, in my head, I keep repeating the whole scene of why would I would say, because I consider myself a very strong will, then you can ask my husband or my family, like I'm a very strong will, I'm a very opinionated and all those kind of things. But in moments with other people, I tend to not show that. Sometimes there's also the fear of embarrassment, of maybe being made fun of. And this, again, could go back to that whole intergenerational trauma. I've also was modeled this by my maternal side, by women in my family, at least from my maternal side, of not engaging in arguments, not engaging in those kind of things. And there was even that message that by not doing that, that was good, because then you were shining. And I can understand the principle behind that, that by you not engaging in that, because it takes two to tango, right? But still, I was giving somebody else my power, and that's not okay. So I guess the question is to what extent? Like how much? How can you do it in a different way that you don't engage, but you still be assertive about it? And I remember when I started being a psychologist here in the U.S., that whole word of assertivity, assertivity, and I would ask my supervisors, I don't know how to be assertive without sounding buzzy or without sounding like egocentric because, again, it was not model, it was not portrayed, and I had no idea. So as I kept on doing those patterns in my life, what I've noticed is that I was giving up my power, giving up my power, and then I was building this resentment because I knew deep down inside that that was not me. That was not me to do that. That was not me to let other people take advantage. I knew I had a strong voice and I knew that my voice could be really helpful, but I was not using it. So as I started 
growing my awareness of my own power. Then I started creating this resentment and anger toward myself. It was not toward them because they were in their own drama, their own thing. It was toward myself for not putting myself first. All hell went loose or whatever the saying <laughs> after I had my son. Because in that moment in life, whew, you, it was like I was definitely like there was this new being that I had to take care and, and let me retract that. It's not that I had to, that I chose to take care of and I wanted to because I knew I know the importance of those first years, especially how fragile they can be. But because I was overgiving myself in all the other avenues, it was like my cup was already overflown. And when that happened, it was like all hell went loose. Like I, I lost it. And that's when I realized I need to start standing up because I don't want my cup to be overflown at home. That's when they need me. At least he needed me the most. And I wanted to stop these patterns because I don't want to continue them. And I'm so aware of them. So that's when my whole journey of no, 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 this cannot continue. I need to set stronger boundaries, which I am still in a work of progress. I need to start shining and being okay with shining. I need to stand up for injustice. I need to use my voice. I need to let go not let go, but still have the fear of what other might think of me and be okay. Because at the end of the day, people will have the opinion on you regardless of. You can shine, you can shut off the light, and they will still have their own opinion of you. And it's actually their opinion of themselves because we are all mirrors. And by them having opinions of you, then they're having opinions of parts of themselves that they're not willing to recognize. And it's easier to project it to someone else. And I think this is super important that it was a lesson that I learned and I relearned and I keep relearning that other people's opinions of me is not mine, it's theirs. The same happens with me when I have opinions of other people. It's kind of like, huh? I mean, of course the ego will kick in like, no, it's them. Like, I don't want, it's not me. But if I really go deep down, my opinions of other people's are also reflections of pieces of me that probably I have shut down and put somewhere else. and it's hard. It's hard to open the eyes to that reality. But when you do, it can be so much healing because the darkness lets the light shine brighter. Whenever there's darkness, there's opportunity for light to shine. So as I'm saying this, this is a good reminder of all those different parts that we avoid about ourselves, all, all our shadows, because we all have that. I've been that person with other people. It's not that I am do that all the time. I've been that person with other people that Perhaps that day I felt powerless and by being with them, I started kind of becoming more, not necessarily of shining from that authentic, but more from the power, like I want to oppress you because I have this need of feeling powered. We have done that. A lot of times it happens with our kids, you know, as an authority person or in other areas that you have authority, how sometimes you can come up across that. And is that inner reflection of was I using my power here for the greater good? Was I using my power here for expressing my real self and shining without overstepping into someone else? And how to find that balance is a tricky one. Definitely, I know that sometimes I feel like when you are in one complete opposite, then you, a lot of times you have to go to the other complete opposite in order to kind of find balance in between. Because that's when you learn, oh, there's this other side, right? 
But I feel like we all have all those different sizes. How can we tap into it? Have the awareness. And then if you go into that side and whether you have to apologize and all that, how to then kind of keep having that awareness so you can somehow come into that balance, that perfect or somewhat balance that could be helpful for you and also without overstepping someone else. Another thing that I tell myself lately as I continue this journey of waving my own spider web and letting my light shine is knowing that I believe we all come here and we all have unique gifts. And many gifts might seem similar, but at the same time, we all have a different voice. And as you hear this part one and part two, which I strongly encourage you to hear it as well, so you can hear a little bit more of the background story. We all have a different voice. We all have a different story, even though it might sound similar. But that's what is so important, that we all share that voices, because by us sharing our voices and shining, it also reminds other people of their light. And I am certain of this. If you do it from that authentic, like if I do it from that authentic, which is what I'm doing right now, it's like that authentic of sharing from the heart, sharing from the heart to know that talking to my little self, and I get emotional even thinking about it, but talking to my younger self, letting her know that it's okay to shine. It's okay if you're good at something. Shine, girl, shine. Because by doing it so from that authentic self, without wanting to overpower others, you're letting other people that have that little sparkle go like, oh, I have a shine, like I'm sh- I can shine too. And by shining all together, then definitely, like it's so beautiful. Imagine the sky of all these beautiful beams of light shining together. And yes, that's, that's what I hope for. That's that's why I'm doing this. And I hope this was really helpful. I really hope so. Thank you for listening. And please, what I encourage you to do is to go inward and explore your light. Also explore your darkness, but explore your light because this world is filled with, with exploring or pointing our darkness or the things that we need to change, the things that we didn't do well. But for today or for right now, just go inside and explore your light and those areas that are wanting to come out and you're not letting it shine. And how can you shine today, not only for yourself, but for other generations, even if you don't have children, we still as a generation are impacting other generations to come, the people that you bump into it, even older generations. Recently, when I went to the Close the Camp protest here in LA, which was like a week or so ago, I was so, so impressed that most of the people there were older and not from a Latinx community, which it really striked me. And I was so humbled, happy, and blessed to know that there are other people that share similar kind of things and are starting to just speak up. Injustice, they're speaking up for things that are not okay from their perspective, and they're letting their light shine. And by them doing that, I got inspired to continue this work, to continue speaking up my truth and my authentic self. 
best of luck in your journey and let your line shine. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond Resilience Life podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. If you like this episode, please make sure to review it and comment on it and share it with your friends and family. Until next time. 